Friends, we begin a new series this morning, so out of love and affection for God's Word, I'm going to ask you to remain, seat, or remain standing and turn with me to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, you may have some trouble finding that one. It's a, a small book, an obscure book. It is the fifth book in the Minor Prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, then Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and so forth. You'll find it on page 654 or 753. Uh, if you're using a copy of the scriptures under the seat in front of you. We started off the year 2016, if you remember, saying that the emphasis, the focus for Redeemer Church in 2016 would be reaching out beyond our walls with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have spent several series of scriptures moving through different books of the scripture, dealing with that very thing. Our call to evangelize the nations. We've looked at parables. We've looked at parables in Luke's gospel. We've looked at parables in Matthew's gospel. We've talked about the inward work of the gospel. How it has to change us, affect us, work in us, before then it will boil up like streams of living water and be used through us to affect the nations, the world that is around us. We're going to continue in that series today with a short study in the, the book of Jonah. We'll start today. Next week we actually have a missionary coming in. We'll return to it in a couple of weeks and we'll go line by line, which is our practice, verse by verse, studying this, this book. This particular book, actually the focus of it is evangelism. Jonah is given the call to go to a place to preach the good news. The book ends... And they lived happily ever after, because he actually does finally what he's supposed to do. But the book also gives us a beautiful picture at the beginning and the middle of what happens when he doesn't. So what happens if Redeemer Church doesn't go into our world with the good news? That's what we want to focus on as we begin a study today. We're going to be looking at the entire first chapter, Jonah chapter 1. Hear now the word of God. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All of the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went down to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, the one who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running from God because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. 
Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. What do we know about God's word? The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this wonderful book that you give to us that gives us a beautiful picture of what it is that will take place if we rebel against your call, if we run away from the very things that you command us to do, but then also gives us a beautiful picture of what it is that you do in calling the lost, your elect to yourself. Open our eyes, Father, to behold wonderful things from this portion of your holy law. Empower us by the work of the Spirit to do them for your glory and for your sake. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please, friends, be seated. Well, one of those movies that uh, when I'm flipping channels that I always come across and pause on is the movie A River Runs Through It. Many of you may have seen that, and you probably know where I'm going with this particular illustration. I pause on that movie for two reasons. Number one, because he is a Presbyterian minister. The dad figure is the Presbyterian minister who faithfully proclaims the, the word of God over and over, year after year, in the pulpit to which God had called him. But the second reason, and maybe even a little bit more importantly, is because the dad loves fly fishing. And he loves to teach his sons fly fishing. And so the whole... And it just always makes me think about our dear brother, Rolf Meinches, who is now up in the very country where this movie takes place in Montana, who didn't even know anything at all about fly fishing, and now he's up there enjoying it, and I'm stuck here with this. <laughs> I love that movie for this reason. There's one scene where my, my dear friend, Daryl McIntyre, my fishing buddy, the pastor of Westminster Presbyterian in Gainesville, we have a line that we say uh, when we fish together. Because if you've ever been around fly fishermen, you, you come to know pretty quickly that fly fishermen and bait fishermen do not commingle. And so we will say, Daryl and I will say to one another, oh, I bet, I bet he's a bait fisherman. And so you get to this part in the movie, you know, where Norman is told by his girlfriend that she wants Norman and Paul, the Brad Pitt character, to take Neil, her brother, fly fishing the next morning. And when Norman is telling Paul that he has to take Neil with him the next day, Paul, Brad Pitt, says, oh, I bet he's a bait fisherman. And sure enough, the next day, they're waiting at the river, he's late, he gets there, and Brad Pitt leans in, grabs something in the car, and says, Look, Norman, Neil brought worms. <laughs> it simply makes me think, bait fishermen, what good are they? But what about Jonah here, friends? He's not a, a bait fisherman, but he is fish bait. <laughs> he becomes fish bait, as we see at the end of our, our, our chapter today, right? He's not a bait fisherman, he is fish bait. And why is he fish bait? 
The passage clearly tells us he's fish bait because he is running from the call of God. He fails to heed the command that God gives to him, and so he becomes fish bait. We all run from God, don't we? We run from God in several different ways. We run from God when we want to elevate our will over His will. We run from God when we make decisions based on worldly ideas instead of scriptural ideas, the Word of God. We run from God when we know it is sin and yet we want to justify that sin and we continue in that sin for our own pleasure, for our own good. All of us have run away from God. But this particular book's focus is on the presentation, the proclamation of the gospel, preaching the good news. And we all fail to do that and run away from God as well, don't we? We look to our neighbor next door to us and we say, they're different from me. They're different from me either by their skin color or the, the very garb that they wear in their Muslim beliefs or something like that. They'll never come to Christ. I, I don't have any cause to go over there and give them the gospel. And so we will run from the gospel when people look different from us. We will run from pre uh, preaching the gospel because of fear, because I don't know what they're going to say to me, what they're going to think about me. We run from the gospel when we hide behind our very doctrines, the doctrines that Scripture clearly teach us that are beautiful doctrines like the doctrine of election. God has already ordained from the foundation of the world who his elect are, so it's not important for me to preach the good news because the elect will come savingly to Christ, and that's nothing more than running away from God. We run away from God in the matters of evangelism when we simply say, I don't want to do that. It's not my spiritual gift. We'll leave that to people like Marty Fagan and others instead of doing what it is that we're commanded to do. What about you, friends? Does that describe you? What about the ministry of Redeemer Church? Does that describe us? That's what I want us to focus on today and as we move through this particular book. But we start a new book, and as our practice is, we, we usually spend a little bit of time putting everything into place, getting some historical understanding, some, some context, so that, so that as we read the book, things make sense to us. So let's, let's begin then with just a, a little bit of history, several different points here, to give us some understanding about the book. The one-word summary, I always like to give you a summary for each book that we move through. The one-word summary for the book of Jonah is this. It's the word fish. He's fish bait. He's fish bait for denying, running away from God. So the one word summary of the book is fish. Now one area I want to start in is many people discount this particular book because they can't get past verse 17 of chapter 1. God provided a great big fish and it swallowed Jonah and Jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights. And they say, <laughs> what world do you live in? <laughs> Come on. God providing a big fish. Let me just simply say this. They simply are saying, I, I, can't, I can't ever get to your gospel. I can't ever get to the fact that Jesus is Lord and died on the cross and rose from the dead because I can't get past these types of things in the Bible like some fish swallowed some dude for three days and three nights. But let me, if that describes you, friends, let me simply say this. Would you do this and turn it around? 
deal with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ first. The greatest miracle, capital M, in all of the scripture. Deal with the miracle of Jesus bearing your sin in his body, dying for that sin, and being raised again to the newness of life that we might have that hope. Come to the conclusion that that is a true miracle and you will have no problem at all dealing with all of the others that fall in scripture. So reverse the order for me. Let's don't get hung up on the fact that he was swallowed by a great fish, even though it's true, he was. Let's deal with the fact that it, this, these are all, uh, while true natural historical events, pointing to Christ. The, 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 verse 17, that he was in the fish for three days and three nights, making that connection of the symbolism of Jesus Christ being in the tomb for three days as well. Deal with the resurrection. And coming to the conclusion that that is true, you'll have no problems with the others. Secondly, what's the theme Look at chapter 4, verse 11, the very last part of the last verse of the Bible. Jesus, our God himself says, after telling Jonah to go to Nineveh, where hundreds of thousands of people need to hear the gospel, God asks this question, and this is the theme or the focus of the book. Should I not be concerned about that great city? We spend our life so many times asking questions of God. Here is a question that God is asking of us. Is this not my character? Is this not my nature? Is this not my, my, my personality, who I am, that I don't desire that any should perish, but that all should come to saving faith in Jesus Christ? Should I not love the city of Nineveh, even though it's, fo- it's, it's filled with a bunch of, of people that are apart from the gospel? That's the very reason why he loves it, is because he wants his people, namely Jonah in this book, to go and preach the good news that they might be saved. That's the theme of this book, that Jesus Christ, our Savior, loves to save individuals. He loves to work the gospel in the hearts and minds of those that are dying in their sin. Thirdly, what about the prophet? You know, this is the only place, save one verse, that we read about Jonah. The only other place in Scripture we read about Jonah is 2 Kings chapter 14. And it tells us there very clearly in 2 Kings, 14, uh, 2 Kings chapter 14 uh, that Jonah comes after Elijah and during the lifetime of Elisha. So he's post-Elijah He is a fellow individual with Elisha. He is a prophet of God. He is living in the 8th century, as we know, Elisha Elisha was living. And the kingdom is now divided with the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And Jonah is called to go and preach the gospel to the Assyrians and to the Israelites, the northern kingdom, and the Assyrians, the very ones that have taken them uh, into bondage. So the author actually helps us with the timing of the book. The 8th century, uh, during the split kingdom, giving the good news to the very ones who had taken them into bondage. Doesn't that help us then understand why Jonah is going to rebel against this? He looks at the very people that took him into bondage, saying, God, you can't possibly want them to be saved. Those people are our enemies. It would make a natural sense then, a conclusion as to why Jonah will respond the way he will as we move through the book. And then we are introduced to several places, the geography that helps us, places like Nineveh and Joppa and Tarshish. Nineveh, now if you think about this, I'm going to turn around this way so you can see the map uh, based, because uh, it's backwards this way, all right? Here, here is the Mediterranean Sea. 
Here is uh, uh, Italy over here. On the east side of the Mediterranean Sea, the east border is the Promised Land. It runs north and south this way. Assyria is up here to the northeast of the Promised Land. That's where Nineveh is in Assyria. So the prophet is told to go up here to the place of your very enemies, the one that came and, and took over the northern kingdom and took them into bondage. Go up here to Nineveh and preach the good news. But he goes from there to here, to the eastern border of the Mediterranean Sea, the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea, and the Jordan River that runs from the Sea of Galilee to the Jordan River. About halfway between the two seas, on the west bank, is the town of Joppa, the port of Joppa, where Jonah goes and he purchases the ticket that he can go then to Nineveh, or go to Tarshish, which we really don't know where it is, but most scholars say it's all the way across the Mediterranean Sea into Spain. The point I think that the passage is making is this, that he ran from here to here, and then he got as far away as he could go. He went as far as the boat would take him, thinking that he could run away from God. Now with all of that then, with all of that historical understanding and geography and things like that, let's, let's come then to the call of God. God gives a call to Jonah, and Jonah hears the call, and the author of the book makes no uh, introductory comments. He gets right to what it is that God has said in this call. Look at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach the good news. So God's word is heard. God says something. Hear my call. The word of the Lord came, uh, came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go. Here's the command. Go. Go to Nineveh. Now two books later, uh, uh, Micah and then Nahum, the book of Nahum, the one word summary for the, or two word summary for the book of Nahum is Nineveh Falls. The book of Nahum is all about the people of Nineveh. It gives you, this is your homework for this week. Go and read the short book of, of Nahum, and you will get a picture of what the, the Ninevites looked like and why Jonah hated them so, because Nahum is filled with the sin of Nineveh. All right? So the word of the Lord comes, he hears. Jonah hears what God is saying, and Jonah says, Oh, no, no, no. Not me, not going to do that. But it doesn't negate the fact that this is what God has said, does it? Because you see, many times in our own lives, friends, we have the way that we want to do things. And God comes along and says, it's not about you, it's about me, and I'm saying this, and that doesn't fit into what I want to do, and we turn tail and run. We rebel. We haven't figured out, you need to do it our way, God. And he is simply standing before us saying this, should I not be concerned with Nineveh? Should I not be concerned with your Nineveh, Craig Ranch, and the people that are here that are lost and dying? The command was to go. And look what Jonah did in response to what God said. He didn't do it. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, verse 3, and headed for Tarshish. Surely Jonah knew David's psalm of Psalm 139 that you read for your scripture of prayer and meditation this morning. Where can I go to get away from your presence? If I go to the top of the mountain, you are there. If I go to the depths of the sea, you are there. If I go to where the sun rises or where the sun sets, 
even there, you, you are there. There is no place where we can get away from God. It didn't matter how far Tarshish was away from Nineveh. He was not away from God. And yet he was willing to run as fast as he could in objection, opposition, rebellion to the Word of God. Sinclair Ferguson put it like this. He said, sin keeps us from the Word, but the Word, if we listen, keeps us from sin. Jonah failed to listen. Jonah responded by running. Look what the author does. He actually gives us you know, my, my favorite conjunction. I've said it to you many times before, that little word, but. And we have it repeated over and over in this particular passage. There are two of them that identify what Jonah did. The first one comes in verse 3. But the word of the Lord came, God spoke, and here's what Jonah did in response. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. He headed for Tarshish, and he went down to Joppa, and he paid the high cost for a ticket, and would later pay the high cost of fleeing from God's command to evangelize and disciple the nations. But Jonah ran away. The second one comes in the middle of verse 5. But Jonah had gone below the deck where he fell into a deep sleep. What a picture. He heard the call of God. And now he was so content in his rebellion that he would be happy to fall into a deep sleep and sleep his guilt away. He would be happy not even to listen to the command of God, the word of God. He would be happy to sleep it away. While, while the sailors up top are calling out to false gods, he would be happy to sleep in his own sinfulness down below. And look what the author does. He gives us three times, he gives us this picture of going down. Verse 3, Jonah ran away from the Lord and he went down to Joppa. Verse 5, but Jonah went down below the deck where he fell into a deep sleep. And what we'll look at in a couple of weeks in chapter 2, verse 6, he sank down into the, beneath the earth in his running, in his rebellion from God. Like, like what James, the half-brother of Jesus, says. This gives way to that, gives way to this, this downward spiral, down, down, all the way to death. He was content content, slip it off with no guilt. Friends, let's make some pointed application. Let's think about Redeemer Presbyterian Church. I, I don't want, I, it's not my call to browbeat, to beat down, and say we're doing all of these things that are wonderful, but you're not doing this one thing over here, so doggone it, get over here and do it. In many ways, we are filling, fulfilling this particular command. To leave these, these doors, these walls, and go into our community. We have a, a faithful ministry in the food pantry. And many of you are there st uh, storing those uh, foods, engaging with individuals that are, that are coming to that particular ministry. We're doing that ministry. We're actually looking for a new lead for that ministry because Andy Norman has been transferred to Miami, Florida. So if you'd like to do that, see Pastor Miller. He'd love to plug you in. We have this beautiful ministry called the Hope Center. Our pregnancy care center started out of this church 10 years ago. 
10 years ago that celebrating their 10th anniversary in a banquet this coming Saturday night where we are standing for the sanctity of life and we are reaching individuals with the gospel, giving them in word and deed the gospel and saving life as well. We have the Shiloh Place, the burden of one couple from our church that started a single, minister, a single mom's ministry where we, uh, for two years, allow individuals to live in the Shiloh place to help them get off of welfare and back into a job and, and the supporting their own families. We work with these individuals, pouring time and the gospel into them, a wonderful ministry. We have a new ministry at the Villages of Stonebridge where my father is in the, in the nursing home around the corner. And today after worship at 2 o'clock, we'll be doing a worship service over there, ministering the gospel, preaching the gospel to those that can't get out. We believe in church planting. We are a plant. We celebrated that last week. But we've already planted a daughter, Grace and Peace Presbyterian in Anna. We love Grayson County and North Collin County. And we have sent 25 individuals and a pastor up there to plant a, a church so that for the faithful preaching, proclamation of the word, we love missionaries and missions. We've got one of our missionaries coming in next Sunday who will be preaching God's word. We love to support them. We write cards to them. We try to get to them annually or, or periodically to labor with them side by side. We are, in many ways, should be greatly encouraged. But what are we doing for Nineveh right here around us? What are we doing for Craig Ranch, for these individuals that are right around us? I'm going to give you one ministry we're doing. It's called Redeemer Day School. And if you have never been to this place Monday through Thursday, 9 to 2 o'clock, you have missed out. 100 children in this building four days a week. And you ought to see the moms pushing their strollers from the neighborhood. Hindus, we have some 20 Hindu families bringing their children to learn the catechisms and scripture through Redeemer Day School. And yet we still have individuals that will say, they're tearing up our building. We need to get rid of it. We need to charge them rent to pay for the utilities that they're using. If Redeemer Day School closed down today, would it affect Craig Ranch? Absolutely it would. If Redeemer Church closed down today and Redeemer Day School did not, would it affect our neighbors around us? No. I'm afraid no is the answer, my friends. We have a mission field right here among us, around us. Let's plant a big old garden out in the back, a community garden, and let's allow, uh, let's allow the single moms and the single dads of all of the nations that we have around us to come and take what they want and to till the garden with us. Let's get out here on the 4th of July and let's celebrate not only our independence as a country, but the 150 people that God brings to us from the nations around us and puts them right in our front yard to watch the fireworks. Let's give them a bottle of water. Let's encourage them to come and worship with us. Let's adopt a block. And let's take that block and for a period of time do something with that block to establish our presence here to say, we love you and we want to give you the good news of the gospel.
Now, how are we going to do all of that? Here's the great news. You don't have to worry about that. Our outreach team is already working on that. And so when they stand up here and they begin to tell you about all these things we're going to do, then you respond. We shall not run. We cannot run. We can't head for Joppa and to Tarshish and leave Nineveh. Nineveh is around us, right here around us. We must hear the call to go. What will happen if we don't heed that call? Well, that's this, from verse 4 on to the end of our passage today. That's what we find. A picture, Jonah heard it, but he didn't heed it. So what did God do? What did God do in response to the fact that Jonah did not heed his command? Look at verse 4. But. Your translation may say then. Same word, but. Here's another but, now connecting with God. Two buts for him. But the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, a violent storm that arose. God loved Jonah too much to allow Jonah to continue in his sin and run away from God. The hound of heaven will always get his man. You think you can run as far as you can run, but he loves us too much. He is not going to let us continue in our sin. One way or another, he's going to get you. He's going to find you, find you, find you. All that song, whatever it is, he's going to get you. He's going to find you. I don't want to to experience a, a fierce storm. Discipline. I don't want to experience discipline if I'm not heeding the very command of God. Look at the second but. It comes in verse 17. But the Lord provided a great big old fish to swallow Jonah and keep him in his belly for three days and three nights. That would be the safe haven, like Noah's ark, that would be the safe haven that would take him back to the very place he needed to go, where we will read in a couple of weeks, he spit him right up on the, on the dry land, and he was, doggone it, I'm right where I'm supposed to be, where I've been called to go. Verse 17 in the Hebrew Bible, the original language of the Old Testament, there is no verse 17. It's actually verse 1 of chapter 2. So in the Hebrew Bible, chapter 1 ends with this very, very dark picture. A very dark picture. But friends, take great delight. Our English translation has verse 17 in it because God is a God of grace. He says, I'm going to provide, I'm not going to let you do what it is that you keep doing in rebellion as you run away from me. I love you too much. Should Should my heart not burn for Nineveh around you? The very theme of the book and the very end of our account this morning, the very end of our chapter this morning is nothing but grace. God will get his people and he will do it his way. And he uses sinful people like you and me to do that in the faithful preaching. This is what God did. God provided a storm and God provided a fish. Then look what Jonah said in response to that, not heeding the call. Number one, he said absolutely nothing. My man was down in the pit of the boat sound asleep. While everybody was crying out to their God, he wasn't saying one word. He was not filled with fear and rebellion to God. But now just like the word down is repeated three times, the word fear is repeated three times. Look at verse 5. And all the sailors were afraid. And then in verse 10, 
This terrified them when they heard about who God was. And then lastly, verse 16, they were greatly feared when they threw him over, boom, and the sea went calm. So what did, what did Jonah say in response to what God did in bringing the storm and bringing the fish? He said nothing originally. He was silent, sleep, content in his sinfulness. But then we find questions, don't we? We have questions from the captain and questions from the sailors as well. How can you sleep? Get up and cry out on your, to your God. And then they ask these other questions. Verse 8, who is responsible for making all this trouble? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? They ask him all of these questions. Jonah finally responds. And notice that he answers every single question except one. And the one question he doesn't answer is, what do you do? What is your job? What's his job? He's a prophet. What does a prophet do? He speaks for God. He's the mouthpiece for God. He's doing the very thing that he's, not doing the very thing that he's supposed to be doing. He's doing the very thing that he should be telling them that they're doing. They're running away from God. Tickalock didn't say a word didn't say a word, the very thing that he was supposed to be doing. All the questions. And here he stands, I'm the mouthpiece of God. I'm supposed to be preaching the good news. But I'm actually on this boat, asleep, running, thinking I can get away. But God loves us too much, friends. The third thing that Jonah said, he said nothing. And then he answered questions, but was selective. He didn't answer the one question that he should have answered. The last thing is we find that he speaks a false repentance. He tells the man, verse 12, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Throw me into the sea and, and it'll, be, it'll be good for you. How I, what a coward. Huh? At this stage in his ministry, what a coward. He's the only one who knows Yahweh. I, I'm, 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 I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, and my God is Yahweh, the, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything. He's, he's professing faith that he knows that his God is more powerful than any and every single thing, and then he's a coward enough to say, but I'm not going to jump overboard myself knowing that God will provide for me. I'm going to blame it on you. Pick me up, chunk me over, and then it'll all be good. What a coward. What a false, false confession. To the point that they say, oh no, verse 13, instead they did their best to row even harder and it couldn't be done. And then they cried out to the Lord, oh Lord, please, please don't put this man's innocent blood. Now by innocent, they're not saying that he's, he's free from, from sin and guilt. Uh, they're just saying they don't, they don't want his sin and guilt placed on them as they pick him up and they throw him overboard. A, a, a false repentance, no genuine repentance. Otherwise, he would have done it himself for their lives, knowing that he could trust in Yahweh, his God. Instead, he makes them throw him over. Here's my point, friends. The world around us is in utter chaos. It is a huge storm. It is disruptive. Tomorrow night, we have our first presidential debate, and it probably is only going to exacerbate the fear that is around us in this world. Chaos is alive and well, and you have the answer to it. It's called the gospel of the Lord Jesus. This gospel will bring about... It's not going to wipe out all of our pains and problems, but this gospel is the steady 
heal down in the depths of the sea that keeps us stable. That this life, as painful as it is, is not the end of the story. There is a life to come, and that life to come is found only in Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven by which mankind can be saved. The world is in chaos. It is a storm. We have the answer. Are we down in the pit of the boat asleep? Are we going to remain quiet? Are we going to run to Tarshish as far away as we can? How are we going to respond? Last Sunday we celebrated our 20th anniversary. Some of you, most of you probably were here for that. 20 years of faithful ministry at Redeemer. I remember, I will remember, uh, when I came 15 and a half years ago, some 15 years ago, about a half a year after I got here, uh, Buck Clark came by one day and gave me a picture of the McKinney newspaper and on the front page was this big colored map and it said, David Craig announces new development, Craig Ranch, come live the dream. And I'm looking at this colored map and I'm saying, wait a minute, right there in that, right there in the heart of this thing is the 12 acres that Bill Lambreth, the guy who preached last week, uh, was able to purchase when the, the, the core group before particularization. There's our land right there, right there in the surrounded by Craig Ranch. So I got my good friend Howard Van Pelt. We decided we're going to go. We're going to go talk to Craig, uh, David Craig. We thought he'll probably not talk to us. He's probably going to be too busy. And we we walk into his little office that was up on 380 at that particular time. And hey, we want to hear more about Craig Ranch, but because we're we're these people right there, we own this property right there. Howard and I sat there for two and a half hours listening to this guy. Yep, 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 about all the things that he was going to do. And then he found, he, he understands, he realizes that this is our property. He later comes back to us and says, I want your 12 acres. I want that 12 acres out there on, on Custer. And I, want to, and I want to sell you this particular property. And I'm going to give you a half a million more dollars for your property over there than I'm going to give you for this one. And then I'm going to do all of the flat work, all of the paving in the front. And I'm going to give you 50 trees to plant. And I'm going to run all the gas and the water and the electricity, another $300,000 worth of improvements. I'm going to do that so that I can get your 12 acres and you can get my six acres here. You know where I'm going with this? Do you not think that God wanted us right here for such a time as this? This is our Nineveh, friends. And God has declared that this is where Redeemer Church would be to reach these nations that are around us. Here's our Jerusalem and then our Judea Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. The Judea Samaria, the uttermost parts, we're doing great. But this is our Nineveh. This is our city here. The very one that God says, calls us, go and preach. Are we going to heed the words, the commands of God and do what he has commanded us to do? Why? Because he is saying, should I not have passion on those? Should I not care for the lost? Should I not be concerned about this great city? Let us pray. Our Father, we give you thanks and praise that this gospel has found us. You have called us to yourself savingly. And now, calling us to yourself and setting us apart, 
that we might gather together as the saints to worship you. You command us to go into our world, the world even right around us, and you command us to take this gospel to them. Why? So that you can transform them, transform them into the likeness of Jesus Christ and bring them into the fold that they too might join their voices with us and worship the very thing that we were created to do, our chief end, to glorify you and to enjoy you forever. So please, O Holy Spirit, capture us. Break our hearts for the lost. Give us eyes to see and open our mouths that we might declare your praise. And we pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Friends, if you're seated on the inside row, would you grab that black pad under the seat in front of you, please? Print all of the information requested there and pass that pad down so that we have a record of your attendance this morning. Our ushers are coming to collect our morning offering. Here's our opportunity to give to the work of the kingdom. We give hilariously, sacrificially, and then also we're going to sing together. Hymn number 381, Brethren, we have met to worship. 381, let us sing together. Remain seated. 